Episode 10 of the Believe and Follow podcast. This week we include a discussion of a passage quoting Jesus that at first glance may seem contradictory to his overall teaching. As you read through the Bible, whenever you come across something that does not seem to make sense to you, this is a real opportunity to learn something important from God's Word. Listen to this conversation and let me know if you agree. So how far in Jeremiah are you? I'm in the 30s. You're in the 30s? I think I turned 34 today, and it's supposed to be 35, 35 tomorrow. Sorry, with 35 tomorrow, Jeremiah 35 tomorrow. Yeah, Jeremiah is good, the weeping prophet. But he's seeing the country go to ruin, mm-hmm. and the people are just not listening to him. Right. He wasn't a particularly successful prophet, really. Mm -hmm. He wasn't like that cranky Jonah character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because when Jonah preached to Nineveh, they listened. Right. And this goes to your point, too, that you were making about Solomon. As nations go, the nation of Israel had all the breaks. Mm -hmm. So you would think, why would they be so so callous? And then there was one case where um, God helped Israel to defeat whatever, and what do they do? They go worship the God of the, of the defeated nation. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's totally, yeah, totally, um, you know, and in fact, God even says, well, what are you doing here? <laughs> I helped you to defeat this nation, and you're going to worship the God of that nation that I helped you defeat? <laughs> and that was the problem with the nation of Israel all along, oh. though is God gave them this complete instruction, but they never wanted to keep it pure. They always wanted to mix in the idolatrous practices of the surrounding people. We do the same thing, right? It's always, you know, we have the Bible, and all we have to do is... Understand what it says, figure out what it says, and it's understandable. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's understandable, but what we keep doing is we keep adding stuff to it. We keep mixing stuff in. And then when somebody comes along and says, hey, maybe this additional thing that you've added in is not in the Bible, he gets scorned like Jeremiah got scorned. And Jesus made that point. What's he say, and it's in the Gospel of John, when the the people say, we're not like our fathers who would stone the prophets. And he says, well, now you just accused yourself. You just said you're the offspring of the people who stoned the prophets. (laughs) You know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But Jesus always made the point that you had all the prophets, and you did to them what you wanted. Just like John the Baptist, same thing. I was reading in Matthew chapter 11, 
Well, let me ask you guys about this. Matthew 11, verse 12. This is one of those verses where if you just pull it out and read it, without necessarily establishing the context, I think it's Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. It's one of those verses, if, if you just like zoom in on the verse and read it, you're going to be like, well, what is he talking about here? Are you there? Yeah. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. Jeremy, why don't you read it? From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. What is that verse about? It's hard when you just look at the verse. It doesn't seem to mean much. It doesn't. It seems. Doesn't seem to mean very much here. I mean. It doesn't make sense, the verse. Okay, it doesn't make sense. But it's there. In the beginning of Matthew chapter 11, we see John the Baptist, who's in prison now, sends messengers to ask if Jesus is the one. And maybe that's like, you know, John already knew. Did he forget what he saw when Jesus was baptized? I don't know. Or maybe this is kind of like a Socratic method. Sends his disciples with a question. Because he's in jail. We know what's going to happen to him. Maybe he knew what was going to happen to him. So then these people go away, and as he went away, verse 7, as, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. So he says, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Where was John when he was preaching? He was in the wilderness. He was in the wilderness dressed eating, in... Eating locusts and wild honey. Exactly. He didn't look like a rich guy. And a rich man dressed in soft clothing is a... What does soft clothing indicate? That this well, rich man is a man of... Leisure. Yeah. Right? Because if you're wearing soft clothing, if I'm going to do hard work, I'm not going to wear my velour jumpsuit. I'm going to wear my work pants. You're not going out to see a wealthy man of leisure. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you, and more than a prophet. And what's the meaning of the word prophet? One who... Um, who speaks the word of God. Who, yes, Who brings exactly. God's word to you. Right, right. So you went out to see someone speaking the word of God. Yes, and more than that, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So then he says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So then we get to our verse. Now, for in the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. I don't know if suffered violence is the best oh, translation. Well, suffer means to allow. So here's the question, though. You haven't allowed violence. So what was going on with both John the Baptist and Jesus when they preached? They would have what? They would have crowds of people yeah. following them and sometimes pounding them because... 
of what they were preaching. I think that's what he's talking about. So the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. What's the message he's saying here? The people who go out to see John the Baptist preach, and the people who go out to see Jesus preach, have done something proactive. Let's say you've got a house on Main Street, Jerusalem, when Jesus, in the third year of his preaching, when he came into the city and they did that whole thing where they were laying the palms and his, on the donkey's feet and singing hosannas to God. Let's say you had an apartment on the Main Street and you're like, oh, what's this ruckus? I want to take a nap. So you close your shutters and you stay in your house and you try to put the pillow over your head and try to get back to sleep. He's not applauding that kind of behavior. He's applauding the people who have made an effort to go out. Because John the Baptist wasn't on Main Street preaching. John the Baptist was out in the wilderness. So the people had to go out to where he was to see. The people had to make an effort. And what he's saying here is people have been aggressively trying to get into the kingdom of heaven. And those who are aggressive about it, those who are proactive about it, take it. I think that's what he's saying. What do you guys think of that take on the verse? Does it make sense to you? That the word violent is probably the wrong word. Well, yeah, I, I don't know that the violent is the word that we would use. But the kingdom of heaven suffers aggression. People are trying to aggressively force their way into it. Look at Luke 16, 16. Read it out. Okay. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. Okay. So now the ESV translates that this way. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. So the point is, people are getting into it by force. They're forcing their way into it. In other words, you have to make an effort to get into it. See, because we know it's not about, because Jesus says things like, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. So he's not saying, well, are you going to be able to bully Jesus into letting you into the kingdom? Is that what he's saying here? Those people that are bullies, you know, are the Donald Trumps of the world going to get into the kingdom because they're uber bullies? No, that's not what he's saying. And that might be the image. There was an old comedy bit about the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And he said, I can't wait for that. <laughs> so some meek guy gets it. I'm going to go, hey, you meek, give me this earth. I, you, you, you know, you just inherit, I'll be able to take it away from you. And that might be the image that we have. It's like, hey, I'm going to bully my way into the kingdom. But that's not what he's talking about. But he does say... To he who seeks, find. To the one who knocks, the door is answered. So you have to do something. So this kind of takes it a step further. You have to be like, hey, this is what I want. I want the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to do what I've got to do to get into the kingdom of heaven. Those are the people that get the kingdom of heaven. Not necessarily those that are passive about it. There's a lot of people whose church experience is... Let's say they go to church religiously every Sunday. They put on their best Sunday go-to-meeting clothes. They're there every Sunday, sitting in the pews, listening to the nice hymns, listening to the preacher preach a sermon, and they've done their bit. Is that going to get you into heaven? Is that kind of a passive experience 
going to get you into heaven. If that's what your religion is, I'm going to sit in the pew, okay, what are you going to do for me? What kind of show are we going to see today? Is that the picture that's being painted here? When Jesus says, everyone forces his way into it. I think that many times in many churches where things get separated into clergy and laity, you've got the people that do things, and then you've got the whole rest of the congregation who just sit and watch. I think that is not consistent with the pattern we see in the New Testament. When the Apostle Paul talks about things being done decently in order in the church in 1 Corinthians 14, you get the idea that many of the people are coming with their contribution to the worship service. It's not just one guy who's the designated preacher, the guy who runs the church, gets up, and he's the headlining act of the worship service. The preacher preaches his 45-minute sermon. Everybody then goes home feeling edified. <laughs> what was going on in Corinth is people were bringing things. Somebody brings a hymn. Maybe we can sing this hymn today. What do you guys think? Let's sing it. He gets up, he leads it, they sing the hymn. Somebody else brings a piece of scripture. Somebody else brings a word of encouragement. It was more like a group thing that everybody contributed to. And so you had to have, when you came to worship, you were coming with something. Mm -hmm. And that's also the model of, you see that part in the Old Testament, when you come to the house of God, you don't come empty-handed. And we have all these people coming empty-handed to their worship service. When they get together, they gather together as a church. So many people come with empty hands, hoping to be filled with something. I'm here to receive. <laughs> I'm here for what I can get. Thoughts, questions, comments, concerns? Do you find anything in there, Jeremy? It's the only time in the Bible this word is used. The, the original Greek. Really? Yeah, so that's kind of cool. In which what the word is for violence, you mean? Yeah, for violence. Viastes um, is the word, and it a forceful, violent man, or one who is eager in pursuit. So, there we go. Uh, so, so that's consistent with this. So not necessarily violent, like, hey, but like, hey, Jesus, you're going to let me into this kingdom of heaven, right? Nice kingdom of heaven you got there. I wouldn't want to see it get hurt. <laughs> no, that's not what he's talking about. What were the words? So one an eager pursuit right. or like positive assertiveness. Exactly. So the person who's eagerly pursuing the kingdom of heaven is the one that's going to get it. The person that made the effort to go out into the wilderness to see what John the Baptist had to say, perhaps got some enlightenment from it. And quite often Jesus was out in wilderness places too. That's why he had to feed the 5,000 because there was no 7-Eleven on the corner. They were out in the wilderness. So, hey, how are we going to feed all these people? We didn't plan. We didn't have a bunch of porta potty is set up or anything like that. We didn't get permits for this. So if you just zoom in on the verse, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, and you read it, you go, oh, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. But you look at the context, you look at what's going on here, what he's talking about, and I think you get the idea. I think it relates to where Jesus goes with this, because in Matthew chapter 12, I think it's verse 30, he says, 
whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So wait a minute now, there's no possibility of being neutral on this? If I'm not working with Jesus, if I'm not saying to Jesus, here I am, what can I do? I'm available, I'm, you know, a proactive guy, I want to do what I can do for for the kingdom of heaven. If I'm not doing that, then I'm scattering, I'm against him. If I'm not working hard for him, I'm against him. There's no neutral. Does Matthew 12 verse 30 fit in with this thing that I'm talking about, about Matthew 11 verse 12, where he talks about the people who are getting into the kingdom of heaven are the people who are proactive, the people who are seeking aggressively to get in. Those are the people who get in. And then he says in in Matthew 12 verse 30, if you're not with me, you're against me. If you don't gather with me, you scatter. So you can't be neutral. If you're doing nothing, then you're part of the problem. Because if you're not one of the people who is helping other people come to Christ, then what are you? You're a distraction. (laughs) You're one of those people that's setting an example. Well, maybe I want to be like this guy. Oh, James doesn't seem to be interested in Jesus Christ. So maybe I want to be like him. Maybe I want to follow his example and do whatever he's doing. And let's say I'm not stating a strong position either way. So I'm neutral on it. Not according to what Jesus is saying. If I'm not making a strong case for bringing you to Jesus, then I'm working against Jesus. How's that going to work for me? Thoughts, questions, comments, concerns? I don't agree. Hmm? (laughs) I completely disagree. Completely missed the point. So, the people who are passive religious are not. Say again? Lukewarm? Like that kind of. Lukewarm? Yeah, exactly. What did, what did you say in uh, Revelation? Yeah. Which church is that? Is that Laodicea? And what does he say he's going to do? Spew it out of his mouth. Spew it out of his mouth. Spew it out of his mouth. Revelation 3.16. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. In verse 14 it says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the angel. Yeah, okay. Yes, Laodicea. He says, okay. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Okay. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, this is an interesting thing. This has got to be a picture of churches today, right? For you say, I am rich. I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and solve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous 
and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. So I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is exactly right, spot on with the message. And I think there are so many people that are like that. He's speaking to a church. He's speaking to members of the church. And you people are lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You need to conquer like I conquered. Jesus had to, he had to make a firm decision to do the right thing. And then he had to be proactive about it. He had to be about his father's business. And he did that for that entire three-year period when he was preaching. And it was very difficult for him sometimes. It was difficult when he was tempted in the wilderness after he was baptized. And we know it was difficult for him before he was crucified, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yet he followed through and he did it. That's what he's looking for the kind of enthusiasm, the kind of commitment to the kingdom of heaven that he displayed in doing what the Father gave him to do. These megachurches, where you've got like thousands of people, but all they, what are all those thousands of people doing? It's like a performance. They're sitting there listening. They're not doing anything. They're just passively hearing a message and being a disciple of whoever. That's not the picture we see of the church in the New Testament. Everybody has to do their bit. So whatever bit you can do, and there are different people. The Apostle Paul makes the idea that the church is made up of people with various gifts. But those people have been put there by who? By the Spirit. Or in Ephesians chapter 4, by Christ. In fact, the people with the various gifts are the gifts that Christ has given to the church. Some are teachers, some are prophets, some are people who are uh, evangelists, right, etc. Some people who is giving whatever. Those are gifts that Jesus gives to the church. But if you have a gift, you have to use it. Because God gave it to you to use. You have to figure out what it is you do well that can be useful in the kingdom of heaven and then make yourself useful because the picture that we see Jesus painting here is not of a passive person who just who just shows up at church on Sunday and sits and listens to an uplifting sermon and then goes about the rest of his business the rest of his week. That's not the picture of a saved person we see here. What was that song? One day of praying and six nights of fun, the odds against going to heaven six to one. <laughs> <laughs> and Jesus would, I think Jesus would put the odds a lot higher. <laughs> what you show up for your worship at church should be just the tip of the iceberg. It should not be your whole contribution to the kingdom of heaven is that you show up on Sunday morning for an hour or two or however, however long your worship service is and that's it you know? the impression you get from the Catholic Church is like well you have to show up on Sunday get your dose of Jesus and then you're good for the week yeah. and the, the, the dose lasts about a week that's why you have to come every week to get another dose 
And if you miss a dose, you better pray you don't die on one of those weeks that you miss. It's like you, you've bought insurance and you've let it lapse and you didn't show up on Sunday and get your dose. And so if you get into an accident when your insurance has lapsed, then you're not covered. That's really not how it works, but it's kind of the impression you get sometimes. And that's not the picture that Jesus is painting here. So that was a good contribution. What other thoughts do you have? That's it. That's for the year. Sorry. Obviously, for it to be a good message, we have to take it to ourselves. Are we doing enough? Are each of us doing enough? Are each of us using our gifts that God has given to us? He gave them to us for a reason. That's the picture you get from Ephesians 4, right? God arranged the people in the church for a purpose so that the church would have what it needs to grow to maturity. So he's expecting those people that he put there to do the thing that they were put there for, to fulfill whatever purpose Jesus had for them in putting them in that local church. And if we're not doing that, if we're just showing up and watching the parade, then that's not the picture that we have painted here. Mm-hmm. And you get the idea that Jesus was pretty fond of John the Baptist. Why do you think he was fond of John the Baptist? Was he fond of him because they were related? Mm-hmm. Or was he fond of him he because of what he was doing? <laughs> Say, say it again? Because of what he was doing. Right. He was given a job to do by what? God. And he was doing it. And he did it. And he was a bit of a freak. <laughs> he was a what? He was a bit of a freak. Oh, yeah. Like, like you said, what, what was he doing? He was out in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey, dressed in the garb that prophets a thousand years earlier would dress yes, he, he was not a vegan. He was not a vegan. No, he was definitely not a vegan. And he also was not dressed in the fashion of the day either. It's like if, if I dressed up like Christopher Columbus or something like that, people would look at me funny. So you know people looked at him funny. But people came out into the wilderness to hear him preach. And he was the forerunner. He was the herald for the kingdom of heaven. Often in life, we find ourselves putting a great deal of effort into achieving our aspirations. Putting it more simply, we know we have to work for what we want. Jesus teaches that this is also true of the kingdom of heaven. While the fact that we have the opportunity at all of attaining eternal life is a gracious gift from God made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus, nonetheless, those who take hold of this opportunity are those who put forth the required effort and make it their business to do what's necessary. Jesus tells us his yoke is easy and his burden is light, but this does not mean it will just come to you. Jesus says those who take hold of it do so by eagerly seizing it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. The Apostle Paul employs the figure of an athletic competition. That's the kind of focus and discipline required to succeed. 
He goes on to say in verses 25 and 26, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Now some see religion as a passive activity. Or, to put it another way, some don't put very much effort into their religious life. Does that approach seem to fit what we're being told here? Now look at what the Apostle Paul goes on to say in verse 27. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. We see in the Bible all the effort the Apostle Paul put into the preaching of the Gospel, yet he is still concerned about being disqualified. What then does that say about you and me? We all need to take an honest look at our lives and make sure we are putting in the effort every day. If you need help with this or would like to discuss this further, you can email me at james at believeandfollow.org. That's all for now. Goodbye and God bless. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The judgments of the Fine gold.